Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or whenever you happen to be watching this. Let me start by reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. These last words of Jesus are our mission. These last words of Jesus are our first concern. They are our marching orders as followers of Jesus. And ever since the church first got started after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, followers of Jesus have spread the message of Jesus as we seek to live and love like him. And while a church has had great success and, and literally billions of people throughout history have chosen to follow Jesus by living and loving like him, there has never been a time in church history when there has not been incredible resistance to the expansion of the church, to the growth of the community of believers who have chosen to follow Jesus. Have you ever wondered why, you know, some of your friends, even some members of your very family are so hard to reach, why they're so resistant to the message of Jesus? I remember asking my father once, if Jesus were to stand right in front of you, display his wounds and reveal himself in a, a supernatural way, would you believe? And my father thought and pondered for a moment and then said, no, no, Doug, I wouldn't believe. There would have to be some other scientific explanation for my apparent supernatural experience or vision of Jesus. Even if Jesus stood right in front of me, I would not believe. My father was raised in church, but grew into one hard-hearted guy when it came to faith. Although that heart softened in his later years, he was surrounded by faith. His brother was a pastor. I became a pastor. After my mother died, he remarried a believer. But it was my son, Graham, who had the greatest impact. And they would banter about faith and go at it with each other. And my father, when he traveled, he would go to Christian stores and, and find some of the most outlandish Christian swag to buy for his grandson, Graham. And in the process, there was a softening. But have you ever wondered why some people are just so incredibly hard to share faith with? Why some people put up such a wall when you want to talk to them about Jesus, they just never seem to soften? Or, or maybe, maybe it's you that's the resistor. You, you want to believe, you're intrigued, but there's something holding you back from saying yes to Jesus. You'll, you'll watch a service online, even come to in-person services when they happen, but you still can't bring yourself to cross the line of faith. So you're holding back, making the decision to follow Jesus. You want to say yes to baptism, to the thing that starts the Christian faith off, but the resistance in you is so strong. What's going on? Well, as kindly and as gently as I can say this, there is a battle going on for your soul. There's a battle going on for your life, for the life of that friend or family member who has put up a brick wall against the idea of following Jesus. It's an unseen battle taking place in the spiritual realms beyond what you can visually see. I know that sounds strange and like a whole lot of hocus pocus, but try to hear me out today. There is a war that has been waged for my soul, your soul, the souls of your kids, the souls of your friends, the people you work with. The, the Bible is incredibly clear that there are spiritual forces at work in this world that are opposed to the work of God and his people. 
Let me start with these words of Jesus that contrast why he came into this world with the work uh, of the evil one. The thief, Jesus says, referring to the evil one, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. In contrast, I have come. They might have life and have it to the full. The writers of the Bible, they do not want us to be ignorant about the fact that there is an evil one called the thief, uh, along with a team of demonic beings that work in this world. Their mission is to seek and destroy what is good in this world. Their mission is to rob you of the life that you so desire to live now. There is a thief strongly at work attempting to prevent uh, you or your friends or your loved ones from experiencing this gift of life, life to the full now and life forever with Jesus come eternity. There is a thief who is just alive and well and at work in this world. Come on. Is it really that hard to see the destructive work of the thief in our world? This week, you just need to look at Myanmar and the bloody harsh military coup there, uh, the corrupt present on. President Aung San Suu Kyi, if I got her name right there, and just her mistreatment of, of refugees before the coup and then the even darker military government that has followed her. Or, or look at China and the mistreatment, even genocide of the 13.5 Uyghur uh, Muslims and the, just the unwillingness of, of, of Western nations to protect the lives of the people there. Move over to Nigeria and see huge attacks on churches and schools there. And not just Nigeria, there are some 50 nations that are kind of listed as the 50 most dangerous places to be a Christian in the world. And in those 50 nations, 105 churches are attacked, burned, or vandalized every month in those 50 nations. 11 Christians are killed every day for their faith in Jesus. 11 Christians every day in those 50 nations. The thief who comes to kill and destroy is very much at work in our world. But, but let's bring this home to your life and to my life. How does the thief operate here? Okay, when you encounter what's just the ordinary, everyday resistance that the average person in our city has to the message of Jesus, often that uh, resistance is where the thief is at work. The Apostle Paul put it this way, the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Here the Apostle Paul calls the evil one who Jesus calls the thief. Paul calls him the God of this age, a dominant influence in our world today. Okay, I get that all this talk about an unseen world, the existence of an evil one. For many of us, we're really uncomfortable with this kind of talk. But again, the writers of the Bible want us to know that there is a dark, pervasive spiritual power at work in this world that is actually a dominant influence in our world. That the devil and his minions are very much alive and well and at work in this world. Heck, they're at work in the lives of most people who live in this world. Yes, most people, including you, including me. Now today, we are in our fourth study in the book of Acts called the Wild Goose. The Wild Goose is an old Celtic, Irish Celtic name for the Holy Spirit. The idea being that to follow the Holy Spirit is a wild adventure where you never know what's about to happen next. The Wild Goose is powerful unpredictable, and wants to work in amazing ways through your life to help change the lives of others for the better. And today, 
What I want us to do is look at a story where we can clearly see the, the clash between the work of the evil one and, and the preaching of the Apostle Paul under the leading of the wild goose. And at this point, Paul's still called Saul, and he's traveling with Barnabas. And as they travel, what I want you to see is as they are led by the wild goose, they are led right smack into the middle of satanic opposition. And I just want to be upfront and warn you. You know, when you truly want to follow Jesus and be filled with the Spirit, like a wild goose, the Spirit could lead you into some challenging situations. But the good news is you're never alone. The Spirit is with you, always with you, and you have all the resources of God right there. That's what makes it such an adventure. Let me read the story from the book of Acts, and then I'll throw some thoughts out about what's happening here. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now that's the wild goose. This is a wild goose thing. They traveled from town to town across the entire island, the island of Cyprus, until they finally reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, uh, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now. For the Lord has laid his hand of punishment on you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. Okay, let's unpack this a little bit. The city of Paphos was the capital of Cyprus. Cyprus, as most of you know, is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's south of Turkey, west of Syria, southeast of Greece. You, you get the idea. In, in Paphos, you have a guy by the name of Sergius Paulus. He's the proconsul, which means he's the governor, but a military-appointed governor by the Roman government, who we're told is a man of intelligence. I mean, this guy's got smarts. We're also told that Sergius Paulus is in some sort of deep relationship, attached, as it were, with a sorcerer, a, a false prophet, an ethnic Jew by the name of Bar-Jesus. The Apostle Luke, who is writing this, he's, he's setting the stage for one of the most visible episodes of spiritual warfare in the New Testament. So this is a significant story for you and me to understand, okay? What we just read can be best described as a dramatic power encounter where the Holy Spirit, the wild goose, overthrew the evil one in a battle for the soul of Sergius Paulus. Power encounter. What the heck is a power encounter? Glad you asked. A, a power encounter is simply a visible demonstration of the power of God greater than the power of the spirits that are being worshipped or, or feared by others. I don't suppose it has to be visible, but it's when the clash between the Spirit of God and the presence of the evil one is visible that the power encounter becomes obvious to you and me. Let me give you an Old Testament example. In the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, we have the story of the prophet Elijah challenging the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. 
Those of you raised in Sunday school will remember this. God visibly demonstrated his superior power by lighting the fire on the altar, and as part of the whole story, the prophets of Baal were executed. This is one obvious power encounter. Last week, if you watched my message, I told the story of a short-term missions trip to a remote highland village of Tomasiga in Papua, Indonesia. This is a story like we just read where the chief of the village had attached himself to the witch doctor and they prayed all night with others against us that we would not come. And when we did arrive, we were greeted with hostility and a little bit of violence. Last week, I told how the chief's wife, who, who was a believer and supported us, was slashed with a machete by her husband, and then she came to be treated for her wounds and live with us. I also told how we decided to stay for about a week, and what happened was powerful. People came to faith, some were healed. In fact, the demonstration of God's power was so visible, the chief came to me and said he wanted to become a pastor. In other words, he didn't want to be attached to the witch doctor anymore. He, he wanted to get connected with whoever had more power, and he wanted that power for himself. But he wasn't really willing to humble himself and repent of his sin. He, he just wanted the ability to do miracles and get hundreds to turn up and listen to him like they did for us. He, he thought being a pastor was a cool gig, but surrender to Jesus? Ah, nah. His eyes were still blinded by the evil one. Back to our story about the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus has this openness to the gospel and openness to the message of Jesus. And he's described as an intelligent man. He's a, he's a thinking man. So to uh, try and blind Sergius to the gospel, Satan is going to use Bar Jesus, who is clearly an instrument of his, who is well connected to the governor. And you know, for Bar Jesus, the stakes are pretty high because if Sergius converts and becomes a follower of Jesus, there'll no longer be any need for a court magician. So the issue is power. It's not a clash over truth or over morality, but over power. The two individuals in this clash, Paul and Bar Jesus, they, they represent behind the scenes uh, sources of power. What we have here is a clash between two kingdoms. The kingdom of God is invading the kingdom of Satan. And the prize in this case is the soul of Sergius Paulus. And the prize really is bigger because the conversion of Sergius Paulus becomes the door to all of Cyprus for the gospel. I mean, Sergius Paulus as a proconsul had that kind of influence. So complex stuff is happening that we don't usually consider when there's a battle going on, when someone's thinking about becoming a devoted follower of Jesus. So you have Paul, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, while his opponent, Bar-Jesus, was full of all deceit and villainy. And in this power encounter, Paul, full of the Spirit, hears God speak. God gives him a strong impression. And, and so God speaks these words from God uh, to, the, to the sorcerer. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. You know, Paul himself might even have been as surprised when he said those words. Let me just say from my own experience is that there have been times, I'm not saying a lot of times, but there have been times when I've been talking with someone struggling about faith and God has just given me the right word to speak. The right word for someone that just made all the difference in their ability to come to Jesus. 
It's, a, it's so powerful when God speaks a word to you that he calls you to give for someone else. And yeah, what Paul spoke, it happened just as he said it would happen. God's power prevailed. The sorcerer went blind for a period of time and uh, all this happened in public, so the news spread all over the place and many in Paphos and throughout Cyprus came to faith in Jesus. And then the apostle Luke writes, well, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. This is not just uh, teaching in word that he believed, this is teaching in word and deed. He saw what happened. So what's happening here is the spiritual blinders are, are being lifted off of the proconsul's eyes. Paul, full of the Spirit, is listening for the Spirit. He knows that there's this battle for the soul of the proconsul going on. He's praying. He, he's listening. He, he gets a word from God that disarms the demonic influence through this sorcerer on the proconsul. Okay, well, let me just back up a bit here. Jesus has said to his apostles during his uh, earthly ministry, and really these are words for us as well, I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. And in tune with the Spirit, Paul is exercising this kind of authority. Paul is leaning into the Spirit and into this authority to get the blinders imposed by Satan through Bar-Jesus off of the eyes of Sergius Paulus. So, what does all of this mean for you and me? What we need to understand is that there is this battle for the life and soul of every person you know who is not yet a follower of Jesus. The intensity of the battle varies. The more an unbeliever allows the thief freedom to do his destructive work in their lives, well, the greater the battle. But for those of us who know and follow Jesus, we have this promise, and it comes from the Apostle John. The one who is in you is greater than one who is in the world. And I kind of like how the old King James Version puts it. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That means when you pray for a loved one, someone on our street, someone we work with, even though the evil one is at work blinding them to the reality of Jesus, we can pray with authority for those blinders to come off. We can do spiritual battle for the lives and souls of people we care for. And if we will slow down and listen, we can actually be led of God in ways that uh, powerfully served our loved ones, our neighbor, our coworkers, in ways that help them to see God for themselves. You know, when you ask God throughout your day, you know, how can I show love like Jesus to this person? What can I do? What can I say? You'll be surprised when God actually turns up and begins to lead you in an act of love or a word that you could share. It's just powerful. I told you the story a couple of weeks ago of the 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody. He, he made a list of 100 unbelieving friends and family and, and prayed through the list regularly over the course of his adult life. He prayed with authority that those blinders would come off. And it was a slow but consistent process. Over the course of his adult life, 96 of the 100 people came to faith, and the last four people came to faith at his funeral. That's the power of prayer at work in the lives of those we love. So, here's my question for you. Who are you praying for? 
Who are you prepared to pray for over the next year, over the next 10 years, over the rest of your life if need be? Seriously, who are you praying for to come to faith? Who is God asking you to pray for? Easter is coming. Our services will be online, and there's a remote possibility that if the government increases the capacity of worship services, we could do an Easter service or two in person here. But whatever happens, the online experience is going to be there with a message of hope encouraging people to make a decision to follow Jesus. And maybe there are people that God would ask you to invite to watch our Easter services or maybe come in person if that's able to happen. So, who are you praying for? Who's on your list? Who might you even ask our prayer team to join you in praying for them? And yeah, who are you praying for? Who are you inviting to be a part of our Easter Sunday here at Fort City? Because God is inviting you to play a role in the life of, a, of another person in the lives of people you know, praying that they would come to faith, using you as you pray that the blinders of the evil one would come off of their eyes, using you as you pray that they would be set free from the bondages that come from the thief that seeks to uh, destroy their lives. Friends, when you pray, lives change. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. All authority has been given to you to make disciples. Friends, Easter is coming. Let's do this. Okay, will you join me in, in a time of prayer and kind of take the prayer that I'm about to pray and pray it yourself and make it your own prayer. Let, let's do this. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, would you open my eyes to see that there's more going on in this world and, and in the lives of my family and friends than I can physically see? Fill me with your spirit and empower me to push back on the work of the evil one. Use me as your instrument to take the blinder off of the eyes of those who do not believe. Use me in the battle for the souls and lives of my loved ones, friends, and coworkers and speak to me about who I might invite to take in our Easter services. And let me keep praying, and uh, yeah, let me pray a little further. And Father, if there's anyone watching who is struggling to believe, would you take the blinders off and let them hear you or feel you calling them to follow you? And yeah, maybe that's you. Maybe God is nudging you to become his follower. And if that's you, I would like to invite you to pray a prayer with me where you invite Jesus to come into your life, where you make a commitment to be a follower of Jesus. Take the words of this prayer that I'm praying and just pray them yourself with me and make that commitment. Would you, if God is nudging you, now is your time. Dear God, would you take the blinders off? Just take them off and give me the faith I need to believe. Just ask him. And forgive me for pushing you away all these years and just doing my own thing, going my own way. Today, I invite you into my life. Today, I make a commitment to follow Jesus. Take my life and transform it for your purposes that I would make a positive difference in this world as with your help, I seek to live and love like Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And if you prayed that last prayer with me, would you message me and, and just let me know? Because I'd love to encourage you to help you get on the right track with this new journey you're on with Jesus. And hey, welcome to God's family.